0: Lord, you and you only are first in our hearts. You are the high king of heaven, and you are the treasure to us. And so we just come before you this morning and give you honor for, for who you are. Thank you that you are the captain of our soul, and we do want to walk your path. So, Lord, this morning, show us your ways, O oh Lord. Teach us your paths, guide us in your truth, and teach us for you. You are our God and our Savior. Lord, our hope is in you all day long. We pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? As you could see, I had a pretty exciting day yesterday, uh, thanks to some friends here who happened to get a hold of some really awesome seats. It was funny, I was texting Jordan and the family, Pat and I were there, but texting them because they knew we were there and they were trying to find us where we… to see us on TV and then when they were setting up for… Um, at halftime, they set up the camera to talk to… yeah, there they are, we had a great time yesterday… We, you know they set up that camera and they're gonna do that interview coming out of the half and at first they had it like going straight back and we were a little off to the side and then the camera guy decided that he needed a better angle so they moved it kind of over there and it ended up bringing our seats into view and uh, and then Mark and Connie were said hey you guys want to shift over here so I, was, so I was chatting with Jordan and Carissa live like during all this and I'm like hey and I reached down. I'm like, oh, I forgot my my carabiner. I'm like, I could like flash this like behind in the interview <laughs> and like 12th Avenue's going national, right? <laughs> and we're all about kingdom people here. And um, it was kind of funny because then he texts back, he goes, man, we're already in the way to becoming a mega church. I can feel it. <laughs> it was just, it was just, we just, we had a good time with that last night. Um, a couple of things in your bulletin. Finally, this thing is in there. If you're Wanting something to have with you that you can get a better idea of the story of God and what it looks like, because like I said, this is something that if this can get in your framework of your mind, I think you'll understand better what God is doing in the world, and so much of Scripture is better understood in the context of this story with the Scripture on back of God's great restoration plan. Um, so what we we're still on this the beginning of this journey together, right? We've talked about our captain, the one. Uh, somebody even this week was talking to me about that, uh, the whole thing when the captain sh- when Jesus shows up and Joshua says, "Are you for us or for the enemy?" and he just says, "No," you know, wrong question. So Jesus is our captain. We do have a quest. Our quest is what God is doing in the world. It is, His, it is the good news of the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom, and His desire to restore all things back to Himself under one head, Corinthians says, Jesus Christ, and so that's our mission to, to be restoring all things to God, one place, one person, one person, one place at a time. And then last week I talked about God not only has this huge cosmic quest, but He's got a personal quest which is to bring me into relationship with Himself, and then when I know Him, what's He wanting to do with me? He's wanting to, do you remember the three words from last week with the… from Scripture with the the Plato? He's wanting to form, conform, transform me into the image of His Son for for His glory and for the sake of others. And so, this week, I want to take that idea of His formation of my life, and I want to take it a little further. Um, And before I do that, by the way, we had the baptism last week, and we had three college students and one high school student, and that was just really powerful. I felt like their stories. Um, I'm going to reference, Elora is the one closest to me, I'm going to actually reference something she had in her story this morning, but it was just really awesome to see those, um, them make that, that commitment, that, you know, that visual showing of that. So, all right. So, still going with our journey onward, our quest. So, this idea of being formed, conformed, and transformed in Jesus' image, I want to hone in on that a little more, get a little more practical maybe. I'm not sure. We'll see. So, I want to ask a question. What, what's the primary thing that people out in our culture call us? They, call it, they might call us lots of things. I don't know what they… I mean, <laughs> some may not be good. But like if there's just one, like a name or a thing that they call us who gather here every week, what would it be? We are… Yeah, Christians, okay. What do we call ourselves generally? Christians what? Yeah, believers, I hear that one a lot, right. I think those are the two main ones, Christians, believers. Do you know what the first believers were called in the earliest days of the movement? Um, I was reading through the New Testament with some internationals in a year, a few years ago, and ran into this in Acts and was actually, it just so grabbed my attention, and it really grabbed my heart, and so I want to share it with you. So, we're going to end up in Acts 9, chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. But what I want to do is I want to start at the end of Acts, and I want to work backwards to it, and I want to show you what, uh, what they were known as. So, if we start in Acts 24, it says that Felix, who was well acquainted with, and do you guys mind reading the yellow words with me, with the way, okay? And then in Acts 24, 14, Paul speaking to Felix said, I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, Acts 22-4, Paul speaking to a crowd in Jerusalem said, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. Acts nineteen twenty three. about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. Acts nineteen eight 8 9 Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So, Paul left them. Acts 18.25, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And then where I'm kind of getting us to, Acts 9, 1 to 2. In Jerusalem, Saul was still threatening the followers of the Lord. I should have put the followers in yellow, shouldn't I have? Threatened the fo- was threatening the followers of the Lord by saying He would kill them. So, he went to the high priest and asked him to write letters to the synagogues in the city of Damascus. Then, if Saul found any followers of Christ's way men or women, He would arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. So, here's what is so fascinating that I just saw in the book of Acts, that the movement of Jesus was known as the way. If any of you have a long history in Emporia, thankfully that's gone from here. Some of you know, most don't, that's okay. But that was what the movement was known as, and the people who followed Jesus were called followers of Jesus' way, followers of the way. Isn't that fascinating? That's what they were known as. Um, in um, this, this phrase, I'm going to come to this in a minute. Um, in the NIV, those who belong to the way. Darby and Young's translation, those being of the way. NLT, TEV, Phillips, followers of the way of the Lord. New Century version, followers of Christ's way. So, that's just some attempts at this at translating it. it in the Greek, uh, don't be intimidated, but it's taste, odou antas, Antas, odou, I actually have it reversed in English, I don't know why I did that, but here, okay, you're like, what in the world is that about? Let me tell you, because it's actually really cool, because the word udas is just, it means a customary, a way of life, and frequently is translated following a way of life. And then that word, ontos, um, I remember when I first did philosophy, oh my gosh, like, and one of the things we studied in there is we talked about ontology. Do you guys ever remember that? It comes from this word, ontos, and all ontology is, forget the word, it's not important. It means to study the essential, the essence of something, what it is in its core, what it really is about. Does that make sense? Um, so, and that's this Greek word that they get this from. So, Here's what, um, this, it's talking about the core of what somebody is in their being. So these early followers, they were called, they weren't called Christians. They were called tes, udas, antas, followers. At the core of their being, they were known as followers of Jesus' way. Does that make sense? That was the defining thing about them. It was central to who they were as a person, central to their being. The key identifying marker of these people is they followed a person. That's huge. That's really, really huge. Um, and this is consistent throughout the book of Acts. The, the person who claimed a saving relationship with Jesus was a person who had so deeply internalized Jesus in His way of life that it affected the totality of their life, including the way they lived their life. You know, not perfectly, we know that, but they were followers of His way. And, you know, this makes total sense to me, this language of walking, following a path. Um, Ashley just said it. She talked about following the path. She used that word path, not even really knowing that that's where I was going with this. This is very biblical language. Micah 6.8, one of the key passages in the Old Testament. He has shown you, O oh man… What is good and what the Lord requires of you? Three things: to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk, to walk humbly with your God. Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Zechariah, Elizabeth—multiple people in the Scripture were told walked with God. This idea of walking—it's um, consistent with the Gospels. In Luke fourteen twenty-six, Jesus said, "A person cannot be my disciple if they are not willing to carry their own cross and." follow me. John 12, 26, Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. It's consistent the rest of the New Testament. Ephesians 4, 1, walk worthy of the calling you've received. 1 Peter 2, 21, Christ left you an example that you should, would you read this with me? Follow in His steps. When we did the baptism, Elora, the lady on the right, she was talking about her journey to Christ. She really got her first exposure last fall when I did the fall conference for the the Kansas and Nebraska up in Salina. She was there, and she responded to kind of an invitation I gave the last day, and we talked. And she was at the very beginning of her journey. And as we talked before the baptism the week before, she was telling me how that… God, and that Jesus was always like this thing in the back of her head that really didn't matter, and then how over the semester, he became, he got in the middle of her brain, and then she said, like, towards the end of the semester, Jesus came to the front of my brain, and after she received him, she said, I filter, like, everything through him now, and I'm constantly asking the question. She hasn't even read the book, doesn't, didn't know the bracelet. She just said, like, what would Jesus do if he were in this? Isn't that really cool that God brought her to that place? That's what she was doing was that, that first Peter. 1 John 2 says, We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, sorry, the man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys His word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in Him. Can you guys read this with me? Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. And all th- in the rest of the John's epistles, he says we are to walk in light, walk in the truth, walk in obedience, walk in love. That whole language of this, of walking, of following of a path um, is so crucial in the New Testament. And if, if you've been around me long enough, You've figured out I really don't like to use the word Christian. I, the word believer is okay, but I don't even use that as much, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, that My language has changed, and Acts has really affected that. But part of the reason I don't like the word Christian is it has so much baggage associated with it. Francis Schaeffer said this, the meaning of the word Christian has been reduced to practically nothing. Surely there is no word that has been so devalued. It has come to mean nothing and everything. And I think we know that's true, right? Over the course of the centuries, the word Christian has become, it's just contentless. You can pour into that word whatever you're, you think or whatever your background is. And I think you know, I mean, I can give you some examples. Um, the word Christian to some people, if you said that, it means the obnoxious guy who stands on a street corner in a city with a bullhorn and a sign, right, saying you're, you're going to hell if you don't repent. Or we know a guy in Topeka like that, Right? To some people, that's what a Christian is. Um, To other people, the word Christian means people who go to church um, every Sunday, but they live like the devil throughout the rest of the week, right? We know people like that. Uh, To some people, just the fact that you show up twice a year to Christmas and Easter is enough that you can label yourself a a Christian, and a lot of people in our culture do that. Um, That word's become so watered down and emptied of its content that The teeth of what it means has really been taken out of it. You know, we work with internationals, or used to, used to, gosh, (laughs) still hang out some, right? But at the beginning of the semester, we'd collect information cards from the new students. And they'd fill in name and email and all this stuff, and one of the things on there was religion. And almost all the students from Europe, guess what they would write for religion? Christian or Christianity. Well, then you start talking to them, and half of them don't even believe in God, but yet they define themselves with this word because that word has become, I think, a lot of times just something that's, like I said, it's, it's really meaningless. I like the word believe, but even that word has… our culture's changed it. Um, in the New Testament, the word for belief, pistio, it's a really robust, it's a cool word, and it… it that word is… it's so robust. It's translated translated in English as faith, believe, trust, faithful, because the word means to give a total life commitment to something, intellectually, with your heart, and with your choices. Does that make sense? That's what that word means. But for us, the word believe generally tends to mean primarily what? Primarily intellectual. Tim's got it. It's, It's primarily that I agree with certain facts. Um, and it's been stripped of that biblical meaning, and it's like, it's like I believe a certain creed or a doctrine, I have right beliefs. Um, I mean, just talking to Mark and Connie yesterday on the way to, to Lawrence, they were both talking about, you guys had pro- had beliefs, right? Proper beliefs growing up and you, all of this, but had not come to that point of that whole life commitment to Jesus and receiving Him. So, it is so easy to believe facts and not know Him as your Lord. We all know this. So, that word, you know, has kind of a little bit gotten, uh, I think our culture has messed that up. Even when we talk about a disciple, Jordan and I last year were at that conference in uh, Orlando, and they were talking about that when you disciple somebody, people usually think it's, it's mainly intellectual content. You sit with a book and you learn things, and they were saying that not much life Living life happens in a lot of discipling relationships. It's just meeting and it's reading and it's talking, but they don't like do life together. And that's really sad because that word disciple in the New Testament, mathetes, is probably best translated an apprentice. You guys know, well, we don't have many apprentices anymore, but an apprentice used to be somebody if you wanted to learn a trade, if you wanted to be a blacksmith, you'd go work with a blacksmith for five years till you became a master at that trade, then you would start your own blacksmith shop. Um, You know, if you wanted to be a glass blower, you'd go blow glass with the guy. It's not just learning the intellectual, but it's learning the whole way of life of how to do that. And that's what that word meant. They were apprentices of Jesus. They weren't just sitting around, taking notes all the time, learning new facts about how to view the world. They were walking and living with Him, and they were apprenticing with Him, not just in what they knew, but in what they loved and in what they did with their lives, right? So that makes sense? Yeah, I think uh, just our people write a lot, our modern Western culture… Um, really drove us to being primarily intellectual things, and I think in, in that happening, I think it's affected the church, to where we've lost this primary metaphor from the first century that his the people who knew Jesus were called followers of His way, followers of way. I just really, um, I really love that. You know, so we and boy, I tell you, I mean, I'm, I'm like this. We've all bought the education model, right? It's studying, reading, learning, listening, you know, as many sermons as you can get, whatever, but not always living, not always living. I'm reminded of James who says that, you know, just believing, just intellectual belief can be deadly, where he says faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it's dead, someone who will say, you have faith, I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds, I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God, right? Good. Even the demons, they believe up here, they believe in God, but they shudder. You foolish man, faith without deeds is, it's useless. So, I read a story recently I thought was funny. A man was being tailgated by a stressed-out woman on a busy boulevard. Suddenly, the light turned yellow just in front of him. He did the right thing, stopping at the crosswalk, even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating through the intersection. The tailgating woman was furious and honked her horn, screaming in frustration as she missed her chance to get through the intersection, dropping her cell phone and her makeup. I don't know what that's about, but... uh, I've dropped my cell phone, never my makeup. As she was <laughs> still in mid-rant, she heard a tap on her window and looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. The officer ordered to exit her car with her hands up. He took her to the police station where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, placed in a holding cell. After a couple hours, a policeman, the policeman approached the cell and he opened the door. She was escorted back to the booking desk where oh, the arresting officer was waiting with her personal effects. And he said, I'm very sorry for this mistake. Uh, You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, uh, gesturing with uh, a part of your hand at him, cussing a blue streak, and I noticed the What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker and the Choose Life license plate holder and Follow Me to Sunday School bumper sticker and the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk. And naturally, I assumed you had stolen the car. (laughs) Isn't that hilarious? Okay, doesn't that kind of get the point that our life ought to reflect what we say or what we claim? I just love that story. Um, And I want to tell you, there's a huge danger of having a purely intellectual faith. George Barnett talks about, you know, he says we're losing 80% of our children once they leave church. Um you know, it feels like we're losing our culture, and could part of it be that if we just have this intellectual faith, and we know facts and things, but it's not really lived out in our lives, that our children see that, and they're like, who, who wants something that's talked about, but it's not walked? We just talked about that yesterday. Who, who cares about if you talk the talk, but if you don't walk the walk? And I think our culture. So, I think, you know, to me, this is, this is really important. So, so I think we need to get back to a more biblical language related to Jesus, our captain, and that's this language of following. And that's why I prefer to call myself a follower of Jesus. And I think when it's installed as our primary metaphor of our faith, I think it radically changes the way you imagine your faith and the way you live it out. I was just thinking as I was working on this this week that um, I use that language so much that I really do in just situations, sometimes I'll do something and I'll be like, you know what, somebody who follows Jesus wouldn't do that. That's not his way. That whole idea of his way and following, it just, it influences me a lot. So, um, because following emphasizes movement, action, obedience. It implies walking, following a path, being on a journey, following a guide, belief in action. Eugene Peterson said, following Jesus means that our legs and feet are coordinated with our minds and heart. The good news can never be separated from the invitation of Jesus to come, follow me. To claim we believe is simply not enough. That call of Jesus is one that demands action. The steps of the true believer are guided by the footprints of Jesus. Isn't that good? That's a… So those people of the first century, they just weren't people who believe certain things about Jesus, and by the way, those things they believed were very important, don't misunderstand me, but they didn't just believe those important things, they'd committed their lives to a person, and they were a people who were so committed to the person that they lived in a particular way, and it was Jesus' way. So for the first Christians, they were not simply, again, people who believed certain things, and that's important but they were people who lived a certain way of life. And that was his intent. I think that was Jesus' intent. So, to me, Christianity, if I can use that word, it's much more than a philosophy of life to be believed, but it's a way of life to be lived. Would you not agree with that? It's a way of life to be lived. So, I don't know, what's it look like? just a few things. Um, We're told that Jesus frequently spent time in solitude with His Father in prayer. That's probably what part of the way of Jesus is. He consistently condemned people with a judgmental spirit, so it's not about judgmentalism. Um, He was clear that people who follow Him resolve conflict by going to the person who they had an issue with and not going and talking to other people. That's part of His way. Part of His way, is, He says, is to be in the world but not of it, in it but not of it. His is the way of integrity and truthfulness where your yes is yes and your no is no. His is the way of taking care of the poor, the hungry, the needy, the naked, making bags of food, going, serving at Camp Comcito. Jesus' way, His heart was to bring all nations back to Himself. That's what His way is, to treat people the way I want to be treated, the golden rule treat others the way you want to be treated, that's His way. Um, It was a way of trust in the Father that was so radical that chronic anxiety was not a part of daily living. A way of passionately loving the Father first and foremost, others, loving others as myself. Being a servant, that's part of His way. Seeking first the kingdom, that's the way of Jesus. Generous, sacrificial, loving, and giving is the way of Jesus. Humility is central to His way. Not the way of bitterness and revenge towards our enemies or the people who treat us poorly, but His way is to bless and pray for those people. Most certainly the way of forgiveness. And unlike the religious leaders of His day, Jesus showed us how to follow and serve God in a way that is unhurried and unburdened. That's the way of Jesus. So this whole carabiner thing... Kingdom people, this is what kingdom people are. They're people who follow Jesus in His way. Talk about a carabiner. That's a carabiner right there. Yeah. Remember the movie? That's not a knife. No, that's a knife. (laughs) But that's, that's, that's kind of the purpose of this, is to remind us that kingdom people are people who follow Jesus in His way. So, Robert, come on up. I have a couple of questions as Robert's coming up. Um, and Robert, when you come up, would you move that tent like right up here front and center, not front and center, but right up there for me? Let me ask you some questions. If we polled the people you work with and asked them, Is, are they a follower of Jesus' way? What would they say? If we took a survey of your closest friends and just said, are they really, okay, we know what they believe, but are they a follower of His way? What would they say? You know, if we, you know, this man, this is the tough one. If you asked your family members, are they a follower of Jesus' way? What would they say? What would your neighbors say? If we asked your neighbors, are those people that live in that house, are they followers of Jesus' way? And, you know, if none of us can totally answer a yes to that. And if we can't, to me, it's time to recalibrate our life and try to get back on the right path. So, really this morning, you know, I'm just trying to get us to think more biblically. I think of this metaphor of following. And um, if you know the story of Nate Saint, Peter Fleming, Jim Elliott, uh, Roger Yoderian, Ed McCulley, these five guys… do you guys know their story, to reach the Waodani Indians in Ecuador? They gave their lives. One of the men that killed, in fact, the man that killed Nate Saint was Minkayani, and that's Nate Saint's son, Steve. Minkayani ended up becoming a follower of Jesus because of the murdering of those men and then how Some of the family members forgave them and actually still came and lived with them and showed the way of Jesus. And I love this quote from him. He says, we were living badly. They brought God's carvings. Now we walk His trail. Yeah, in Jesus' day, they talked about being covered in the dust of a rabbi. The rabbis, the teachers would be all around Israel walking around. Behind them would be running a group of disciples, apprentices, not just learning from them, but learning how to live. And by the end of the day, when they'd come to a town and stop, because they'd been walking so closely behind their rabbi, they, they, were set, they were covered in the dust of the rabbi. And it came to be a phrase that just meant somebody who followed their rabbi. And so, that's what I want to be, and that's what I long for us to become, are people who follow Jesus in His way and were covered in the dust of our, dust of our rabbi. So, in your bulletin is a sheet of paper. Here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to think, if there's one place in your life you're like, my life's not in alignment with the way of Jesus in this one, I'd like you to write that down. And I know I'm just asking this right now. I probably should have asked this earlier, but just write that down. And think about it for a minute. And what we're going to do is we're going to sing a couple of songs. Robert's going to lead us, and I would like to invite you, if you feel it is appropriate, to whatever that is, to take it. There's a tent up here. There's one back there, and there's one somewhere back there. It's smaller, but it's back behind Pete. But um, if you feel led to, just take this and prayerfully toss it in one of the tents, and offer prayer and say, Lord Jesus, help me to walk more like you in this particular area of my life because I want to be known as a follower of your way. So, it's just a, a way to respond. So, we're just going to sing for a few minutes, and if you feel led to do that um, as a way of showing Him your desire to follow Him better, then, then feel free to do that. So, may we be kingdom people, right? People who follow our Captain we're not known not just for what we believe, but we are known as people who are followers of the way of Jesus. May we be a community that is covered in the dust of our rabbi. So, Lord, make us that kind of people. None of us is perfect. We're all on a journey. We're all being formed and conformed and transformed by You to become more like You, but we do want to be more like You. And so, in whatever way right now you want to be at work in our life, we just invite that activity. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you're dismissed.